fun uh, Christmas shopping this week. Um, it's always interesting uh, as a husband to go Christmas shopping because we don't always get it right. Isn't that true? So a long time ago, my wife decided to alleviate me uh, from that pressure. So now she buys the gifts and then she wraps them. And then on Christmas morning, I discover what I got her. But we've been married 32 years, and so that's what works for us, right? And so, it, and I tell you, I knocked it out of the park this year. It was, she loved those gifts I got her this year. So you're welcome, honey. You're welcome very much. So, But I did hear about another husband and wife. Uh, they went Christmas shopping at the mall this year, and the husband wandered off. And he called his wife, or the wife called him to find out where he went and the husband answered his phone and he said, uh, honey, do you remember that jewelry store we went to about 10 years ago? Um, you saw that beautiful diamond necklace and I told you at the time I didn't have enough money to uh, purchase that for you. But one day, one day when I had a little bit more money, I would buy that beautiful necklace. Do you remember that store? And she said, oh, well, yes, I do, trying to catch her breath. And he said, well, that's wonderful. So if you could just head on down to that store, I am right at the donut shop next door. <laughs> Yeah, didn't bring her much joy, did it? So, well, I hope you experience joy in your gift giving and receiving of your gifts. Uh, in the English language, we have a fascinating word to describe this action of feeling extreme happiness. It may come across as a huge smile on someone's face or a moment of exhilaration at a significant event in the life of someone you love. Alongside this uh, magical word, we use phrases like, I'm happy as a lark, don't worry, be happy. I'm pleased as punch or my heart is overflowing. These concepts and phrases can be distilled into one unique word in our culture, and the word is joy. In the Bible, the word joy is actually used 179 times. Did you know that? Here's a couple instances where it's used. In Psalm 116, I'm sorry, Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. In 1 Peter 1.8, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy, rejoy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And in Romans 15.13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And so we learn and we find all throughout the pages of the Bible that God promises to bring us joy, promises to bring joy to his people. And on Christmas Day, joy was realized in the birth of our Savior in Jesus Christ. You know, when the wise men finally found the place of Jesus' birth, it says in the Bible they experienced joy. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. When they, the wise men, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's pretty cool. So a good question is, what brought this joy on that first Christmas? Well, if we look at the account in Luke, we find a big clue. Because in Luke 2.32, the Bible tells us that Jesus will be a light. He will be a light that will reveal salvation to unbelievers, and he will bring glory to your people of Israel. And so what we discover is the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the big reveal of God at Christmas. And with it comes this promise of joy. So what I want to do today is look at the first Christmas in Matthew chapter 2 and see how God reveals the promise of his joy through the story of the wise men. 
The first thing we discover is joy is found in what I call the registry of Christmas. The registry of Christmas. We'll pick it up, Matthew chapter 2, here in verse 1. Bible says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come we have come to worship him. Now, when you read that text, the first thing I kind of pick up, we notice that the original Christmas is kind of a realistic scene in which it takes place. What do I mean by that? Well, initially, if you know the whole story, right, there's no a royalty or pomp and circumstance at the birth of Jesus. There's, there's no um, news media coverage. Uh, nobody's taking selfies. There's no social media posts taking place. There's no civic or community leaders present at the moment. It actually wasn't until the arrival of these wise men uh, that something spectacular happened. Other than that, it was pretty simple. The scene presents itself as an everyday situation, a young couple having a baby. And what drove that decision to have the baby in Bethlehem was a politician issued a decree with the expectation of the citizens to follow through. So Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem to register, register for a census, and they did what was expected of them all the while expecting God to deliver on this promise of a new baby. And in Mary's case, of course, the promised arrival couldn't have happened soon enough. Yet I thought about that, and I think this is often how God works in our life. He works and moves in our life in the mundane, in the everyday situations of our life. I mean, think about the Apostle Peter for a minute. Before his encounter with Jesus, he was fishing, doing everyday work. Think of Matthew doing his dishonorable job at the time of tax collecting before meeting the Savior. Think of the Samaritan woman at the well who was taking care of an everyday normal household chore. She was getting water at the village well, and it was there that she met the Messiah. You see, friend, I think it's in these situations that God often reveals himself to us. It's in the quietness of a moment. It's in the early morning or late night Bible study, Bible reading. It's in the simple act of serving at your local church or someone else. It's within the simple act of praying, even when sometimes those prayers don't feel super exciting. God meets with us during the simple act of worship. When through the power of music we can, I think for a brief moment, close out our problems and we can lift our souls toward heaven in a song. We experience real joy, I believe, in these moments because Christmas reminds us, I think, that God dwells with us in the everyday situations of our life. You see, there's an additional observation in this story as well in the first scene, and I think it's also found in the reliability of Joseph. He was just an everyday guy, a normal guy, but he was incredibly reliable in his commitment to God. You see, it's common for Joseph to get written out of the Christmas scene and to be getting uh, written out of the Christmas story because he doesn't really have very much of an exciting role. But I think if you look a little closely, nothing could be further from the truth because if you think about it, without Joseph, there's no Galilee, there's no Nazareth, and there's no Bethlehem. Hmm, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? You see, it was Joseph's lineage that actually protected three Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. The physical location of the birth of the Messiah and two locations regarding the ministry of the Messiah. Without the reliability of Joseph, we would have an incomplete picture of Christ. 
According to the text, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, you remember, precisely because of Joseph. Remember, it was Joseph's faith in God that drove his reliance upon what God was actually doing in the life of his fiancée. It's pretty fascinating when you look at it that perspective, isn't it? You see, Joseph stayed the course. He was unwavering in his dedication, and he served the purpose of God within the Christmas story, unlike any of the other people that we find. And I think it's an example for us, a good example this Christmas season. It's a great example for you and I to stay the course that God has for us. Just as God utilized the lineage and the reliability of Joseph to complete his divine plan in the Christmas story, I believe God will utilize your life story and your commitment to stay faithful to his plan in your life. And it's in this reliance upon God and in your reliability to stay the course that I think you will experience joy. It goes far beyond Christmas. And finally, on this point of the simplicity of the story, the wise men concluded rightly when they said this, we have come to worship him. They said that in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Friend, that was accurate 2,000 years ago, and I think it's still accurate today. Wise men still seek him. Because when you find Christ, you find true joy. That's the first thing. What's the second thing we see? Brings us to the second thing we see in our scene today, and that is that joy is found in the radiance of Christmas, the radiance of Christmas. Hey, you know the story, the wise men showed up, they met with Herod, they had an interview, and uh, Herod uh, wanted to find out what was going on, and then we pick up here in verse 9. After the interview with Herod, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was, that's Jesus. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Underline that in your text. They were filled with joy. You see, the radiance of the star is what guided the wise men, and it must have been stunning for them. Now, here's a couple things we don't know. We don't know much about how far these men traveled. We don't know how long their journey took. We do know that they had knowledge about God and the prophetic language of the Bible. Uh, some people say, well, where did they come from? Well, they were most likely from the lineage of the Magi, connected to uh, the prophet Daniel, the biblical Daniel, and his years in Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. There's a good chance that's what happened. We know there must have been uh, at least two wise men, but there could have been three or more. So why do we have three? Well, we assume three because the Bible mentions three gifts given to Jesus when they finally arrived. But we also know that they took the Old Testament prophecies very seriously, and through humility of their actions, they met God face to face when they followed the star. And these wise men were on the precipice of joy at the same time Herod was a jealous and vengeful king. And he was surrounded by a storm of his own making. And the storm was of his fear of another king taking his place. And yet even in the midst of all the jealousy, in the midst of all of the anger and the strife and the hatred and the revenge that the kings were experiencing uh, with King Herod, the radiance of the star did not diminish. And I think there's a great lesson there because I think that's how God works. Nobody or no thing can ever steal the joy that God gives you. Did you know that? It doesn't matter what's happening around you. It doesn't matter if there's a vengeful king coming down against you. You must choose to give your joy away because no one or no situation can ever take that from you. I think that's what we learn. 
But an even more radiant thing was happening in this moment because the star in the sky was simply pointing the way to the joy found in the manger. And that this joy was found, they finally found joy when they found Christ because he was in a very humble setting in the manger. And I think, friends, that's where joy is found because joy is often found in humility. When Jesus determined to walk among us, he did so in the most unassuming of ways so that he could relate to the lowliest of us. He didn't come with some big pageantry. He came in the form of a baby. And Christmas reminds us that no matter our position in life, God will reveal himself to those of us who are humbly looking for him. I mean, it's true if you think about it. The uh, first Christmas night, there was no room for them in the inn. But that doesn't have to be the case for the inn of your heart. When you humbly come to him, open your heart. We make room for Christ as we come to him in the same way that he came to us. That is through the action of humility. When we come to a manger, we come with a humble heart. We see what the angels have seen from eons past, and that is the majesty of God. When we come to Christ with a humble heart, we experience what the shepherds experienced in the presence of angelic hosts. We experience the simplicity of God's presence in the form of a baby. We recognize what the wise men recognize, that there is indeed a greater king among us. It's not us, it's Jesus. And we understand what Mary and Joseph understood, the fulfillment of the promises of God. You see, that's why I believe joy is found in the radiance of Christmas. That brings us to our third scene in the story, and that is that joy is found in our response to Christmas, our response to Christmas. The wise men showed up, and here's what happened in verse 11. They then entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And then they bowed down, and they worshipped him. Go ahead and underline that phrase in your notes. Bowed down, and they worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. There's a lot going on in this story. But what we see in the response of the wise men, I think, is a reflection of the heart and a rejoicing of their spirit. How do I get that? Well, in the Bible, it tells us that they bowed down and they worshipped him. And secondly, they gave him gifts. I think this gives us an indication that there were two responses to Christmas. One response takes place on the inside and one response takes place on the outside. And so by way of application today, I think there's two questions for each one of us. The first question is, how can we best reflect on the message of Christmas this season? And here's where I think the answer begins. We can start by following the simple example of these wise men. We can come and we can bow down and we can worship the Lord. And we can re reflect on the words of Scripture that explain this beautiful Christmas story to us. And we can, as Mary did, we can begin to ponder all the way in which God still transcends our life today. And when we do that, I think we build up what I call a reservoir of hope in our hearts, a reservoir of God doing something in our lives. And in those moments in life later when we don't understand or we can't see the whole picture of what's going on, we can reach down into that reservoir of hope that God builds in our hearts at Christmas, and then he can help us in that time of need. You see, as we bow down and worship the Lord, we begin to focus more on who he is and less on who we are. And in that moment, here's the big takeaway. We then become the very reflection of Christ that we are encouraged in Scripture to become. We could use a little bit more of that in our world, don't you think? 
reflect a little bit more of him and a little bit less of ourselves. So that's one response we can give, reflect the message of Christmas. What about the second question? How can we best rejoice, best rejoice about the message of Christmas this season? I think we can start by following the example of the wise men by courageously sharing the gift of the Christmas story. You see, these gifts that they gave are a representation of honor and what was happening in the inside of these wise men. And when we tell others about what the Savior has done for us, it's a representation of what God's doing on the inside of our life. These wise men brought gold and frankincense and myrrh to Jesus, and we now bring the gift of Jesus to the world. And one thing I've learned in my life is our world tends to focus on the type of gifts that we own or the gifts that we possess and all of that type of thing. But one thing I've learned in my life is God doesn't care very much about our titles. God doesn't care very much about our bank accounts. He doesn't care about our successes. He doesn't care about our failures. What God looks at is far deeper than all of those things, friend. God looks at our hearts. And when we, and when we respond to Christmas in a way that is a, a point of reflection and a point of rejoicing, we can't help but tell others around us about what God's doing. And we instinctively become like the wise men in giving away the gift of the Christmas story to our world. And I can encourage you to do that this year. Become like the wise men and give away the story. Let me conclude today in this short Christmas uh, devotional to tell you a story of a man who told others about the Christmas story through a song that we all know. Edmund Sears was born on April 6th in 1810 in Sandusfield, Massachusetts. In the next 65 years, he would graduate from Union College in New York. He would receive a doctor's degree from Harvard, and he pastored three small churches in the state of Massachusetts. He passed on in 1876 and would have been forgotten by most except for one small detail. In 1846, he actually penned a Christmas poem called Peace on Earth, and he tucked that poem away in his desk, and it would stay there for the next three years. Pastor Sears could have served the metropolitan pulpits of a, in the big city, but he had grown up in the Berkshire Hills and loved the small-town way of life. The country setting and the changing seasons gave him inspiration from long summer days to cold winter nights. Could it be that on one of those cold New England nights, looking through a frost-laden window, he saw with his mind's eyes a scene of long ago? The coming of the angels to Judean hillside, the shepherds struck with fear, and the message loudly proclaimed, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Together, all of this would give birth to his poem, Peace on Earth. But you see, time and dust would have swallowed Pastor Sears' poem. But in 1849, he actually sent this poem to the publisher of Boston's Christian Register. And a whole year went by until finally, in Christmas of 1850, the poem was put in print for all to see. It would be Richard Willis, a graduate of Yale and a music critic, for the New York Tribune, who would give flight to his words by adding music. Years later, Oliver Wendell Holmes declared this new hymn as one of the finest and most beautifully ever written. The hymn is still as beautiful forever, and the message still rings true today. You and I sing Edmund Sears' Christmas poem of peace under the title of It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. It's a beautiful song. 
So here's a man who took the message of Christmas and put it to song. And maybe God wants to do that in your life this Christmas. Take the message of Christmas, and it may be putting it in the words of a poem, maybe putting it in the words of a song, and maybe putting it in the words of an encouraging word to those in your family or friends. But somewhere, some way, we respond to Christmas by giving away the Christmas story to however God's created us to do it. So I encourage you to find that way this year to continue to give away the beautiful news of the Christmas story. In sum, let me say the promise to find God's joy at Christmas is to remember the registry of Christmas, the radiance of Christmas, and of course, finally, the response to Christmas. How will you respond to Christmas this year? Hopefully, your response will be to give it away to others. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this uh, Christmas service. We thank you, Lord, that we can respond in a way in which we give away the message. This message isn't meant to just come and sit in our heart and just stay there. This message of Christmas is, is given to us so we can then give it away. We can give the gift of the Christmas story to those around us, and we thank you for it. And Father, I pray if there is anybody here this morning that has never received the Christmas gift of your love and your forgiveness and a relationship with you, that they would do so right now. I can't think of a better day to receive forgiveness from you than on Christmas Day. In fact, if you're here this morning, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, never invited him into your life to be your Savior and Lord, you can do that right now, right where you sit. Just say this simple prayer right in your heart. Dear Jesus, I choose to invite you into my life today. On this Christmas morning, I invite you into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. I thank you for dying upon the cross and saving me. And I give you my life today. And it's your name I pray. Father, wherever that prayer was prayed in this room today, I pray right now you surround them with the presence of your Holy Spirit and help us as a church, Lord, to continue to help them grow in their relationship with you. Let it be a special day for them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning to receive Christ, to do business with God, to go all in 100% for God, that's pretty cool. I think that's exciting. I'd love to meet you. So if you want to meet me at the end of the service, I'll be down here. But more importantly, we have a Bible for you if you don't have one. So at the end of the service, right out that direction, there's an area called Next Steps. So you go out there and let the volunteers know that you just prayed to give your heart to Christ and they'll get you a Bible and get you started in your relationship with the Lord. Is that cool? Right. Hey, so we're going to uh, do something a little different today. Before we do the benediction, I've asked Denise to come back out and John, and I want to sing, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him one more time. Is that cool? Can we do that? Why don't we stand and sing that beautiful chorus together?
Isn't that just beautiful to sing that song? Just wonderful, wonderful words. So let's do our benediction. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you, Compass. Have a wonderful Christmas day, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thank you.